Within 80 kilometres of Mount Hermon, you're on the lowest place you can go on Earth. The highs to the absolute lowest place you can go on Earth. And so we often think of Israel as a hot place. It's not hot here. It's uh, where the cedars of Lebanon grew. It's often misty. A little bit south of here, they grow bananas. Um, Beautiful environment. The air's sort of soft. You know that air that's soft and makes you feel like you can almost wipe your hands in it? That's what the air's like here, where the transfiguration takes place. But I want you to notice that that they, they experience the transfiguration and then in chapter 9, verse 9, look at what happens. On the way down, Jesus talks to them about his death and that he'll rise again. And then we get this story that I'll reflect on and then look what happens in verse 31 after the story in that final paragraph or that, that it's not the final. <laughs> they go really off the rails after this, but anyway... Um, he tells them again about his death and his resurrection. So this is an important thing to understand the bookends uh, of this story. Um, Humankind, human beings, you, me, all of us, we think a lot about ourselves. We just do. I wonder how much you find yourself thinking about yourself in a constant or in a conversation with Jesus where whatever's happening is happening there and you're it's interesting I asked someone I was praying for someone I said which side is Jesus on for you which side's he on they said oh he's there isn't that interesting it's an interesting question to ask yourself you're in a conversation with Jesus next to each other which side's he on it's not that one's right or wrong but It's an authentication that you can have a real conversation with Jesus because you know exactly which side he's on. Isn't that weird? We don't think of ourselves that much, though, in conversation with Jesus. So after over 16 years, I've had the rare privilege in this role to think about my life and my work and my existence and my purpose, essentially looking in a mirror out there, having a conversation with Jesus. This is what I call the reflected life. I wonder, do you have a reflected life where Jesus is here, you're in conversation uh, about whatever's happening out there in your life? What is Jesus saying about you and with you in the world that you inhabit? This is what I see Jesus growing and evolving and championing, particularly in this man, this father, in this passage, in the life of the man who's at the bottom of the mountain. So Peter and James and John have had their mountaintop experience Uh, when I spoke about worship in relation to the Transfiguration a couple of weeks ago on the online sermon, so you can still get that, we talked about mountaintop experiences are things that you bank. 
So let's imagine that uh, it, there's a, uh, a tech boom and you somehow decided madly to buy 100,000, well, Bitcoin shares would be the thing, you know, because you're crazy, you just bought Bitcoin shares and suddenly your $5 investment is worth $52,000. That's what you call a mountaintop experience in terms of that at least. You bank that. What you don't do is normalise it and expect it to be the norm. It's very tempting to look for a life system, some sort of a system of life that we can um, have, that if we get the right system and we read the right self-help book, we'll get growth and fruit all the time, relentlessly. We'll win, we'll never lose, we'll conquer, we'll never suffer. But that's not what life's like, is it? There's the mountaintop, but most people live down in the valley. Not many people actually live on mountaintops. In fact, it's mostly hermits and weirdos that expect to live up there. People do the real living at the bottom of the mountain in the valleys where life really happens. We sometimes get a glimpse of glory for a fleeting moment or two, but we do life way down in the mess of the day today. You and Jesus reflecting on what's happening in your valley, whatever's going on there. Peter, James and John had been up there with Jesus, but notice Jesus brought them down. And on the way down, he spoke to them about his death. It's down here together that God is at work to will and work for his good pleasure in you and me. This is where we learn to reflect with Jesus looking in the mirror of life. This is the place where the pay dirt of the reflected life goes Oh, it takes place and happens. So the story, the story. Well, there's a number of things we quickly learn. It's a story, it's about life and it's full of life and we get the sense that life is a long journey. It is. It's light and it's dark. It's joy, struggle, suffering, tribulation and a lot of life is actually beyond you. What do I mean? I mean that a lot of things that happen in life, they're just out of our control. They either just happen to us suddenly, like getting hit by a truck riding your bike, or I may have done something, or I may have neglected something, and that pays a wage over time, and it's just happening to me now as a result of something I may have neglected or done. So life is a long journey and it is often beyond us. We learn that, I think, from the story. The story also introduces us to those we live with. Those we live with who know better than us. Or at least like to tell us they do. Down the bottom, they're arguing. 
if you knew what I knew and you did what I said, this wouldn't have happened. And you'd have a good life, but you're not having a good life and that's because you didn't listen to me and you didn't do what I said. Now we permeate that in all sorts of ways, but down the bottom are those who know better. And that smacks of a kind of an unreflected life to me. A life where people know what they know, that's the way it is, and you get with my program, or else. That smacks of an unreflected life. If you line up all the ducks, you'll win. You're not winning, you mustn't have lined up the ducks. Now, I have to tell you that if that's true, I am looking at a bunch of losers. Think about that. If that's true, because so many things have happened to us together, haven't they? So many things have just been ripped out of our hands, that are out of our control. We've suffered together. We've lived and died together. However hard we try, our kids may hate us. However hard we try, illness assails us. However hard we try, relationships fail. Hearts are broken, jobs are lost, cars are crashed. Someone's dunny even flowed at 3am last night in the early service. However hard you try. Stuff happens, bodies are broken, despair envelops, and love's withheld. So does that mean that God isn't? God doesn't care? Well, this story tells us no. That if you think like that, that's a conclusion of an unreflected life. A life that doesn't look out at what's happening in conversation. With Jesus. A life that hasn't looked in the mirror with him. So, it's a long life, a long journey. We confront these unreflected folk who know better and they're just arguing and opining. And then, thirdly, we discover in this story a whole pile of nobodies. You need to really understand that in scripture most of it's about nobodies who only become somebodies because of who they're attached to. The love and purpose of the living God. But the nobodies that we meet are often faithful nobodies. I resonate with being the faithful nobody. You know the C plus, faithful nobody. Jesus lives and loves and saves predominantly around nobodies. Faithful Nobodies, who are all, every one of those faithful nobodies, are called to live that same reflected life alongside him, with him. Because you, you also need to know that somebodies don't need a saviour, but nobodies usually know that they do. So this man in this story... This beautiful man, this father is in an awful predicament at the bottom of the mountain where he lives with his son and there's an argument going on about who caused it probably. 
I've been to this place, it's beautiful. The flocks, trees, fruit trees. In fact, this is where David took his flocks in Psalm 23 to dwell beside still waters. The cedars of Lebanon grow there. This is a beautiful dad in a gut-wrenching, heart-breaking predicament that he suffered for years in the most beautiful place on earth. The most beautiful place on earth doesn't save us. This dad has a young son who's desperately ill. He's spiritually ill. And he's in tribulation and travail. And the situation is absolutely dire. It's a situation where as a parent you'd give your own life. Just take my life so he can have a life. But you know that by giving your own life it won't do a thing to help his life. And then there are the fixers, the lawmakers, the local religious experts. Oh, and the nine other faithful nobodies that didn't go up the mountain with Jesus, hoping that by following Jesus one day they'll become somebodies. They're all having an argument over the problem. And the fixers can't fix it. So they're arguing about which of them is the rightest, which is probably the same argument about which of them is the greatest. And what you'll notice as you think about a reflected life is there's not much reflection in that, is there? There's not much reflection going on there, not much alongside with Jesus, not much humility, not many open-ended questions, and absolutely no prayer. The fixers just want to fix, fix, fix. A pine, a pine, a pine. Because they have no idea what they're doing. When uh, Cheryl and I lived in community, we lived with this lovely farmer from Blackall in western Queensland. Dougie Wood was his name. And Dougie was probably the most gifted heavy machinery mechanic I had ever seen. Dougie was extraordinary. And he just loved it. If he was covered in gearbox oil, he was just so happy. And I said, Dougie, what makes a mechanic a good mechanic? A really good mechanic. He said, oh, Potsy, he said, just two things. Just two things. I said, Dougie, what are the two things? He said, well, the first thing is, he said, you need to know where to hit it. I said, wow. I said, what's the second thing, Dougie? He said, you need to know how hard you can hit it before you break it. There's a lot of hitting going on here in this passage. If you don't know where to hit it, just hit it more and hit it harder. That's what's going on here. That's how the unreflected life works. We just go harder, do it more, more courses, more meetings, more strategy, more opinions, more criticism but less patience, less seeking, less listening, less time in the mirror with Jesus. So Jesus returns from the mountain of glory and they mob him. Surely he can fix this. And he rips into them. 
Why does he rip into them? Well, it's the elevation of self, self-promotion, this strategy, striving. It's a faithless motivation. It's a selfishness. And he finds it so tiresome. The thing that tired Jesus out was us just hitting it harder in any old place. It seemed to really tire him out. And above the reflected self, he's looking for a new self, a faithful self that will open its heart to the possibility of a new future. He's just open to something new, something fresh, something different. So this unreflected life is marked by a kind of a confidence that is just, I'll be confident even though I've got no idea. A self-promotion, fixing, arguing, and absolutely no prayer. But now in the story we begin to learn. We begin to learn because the first thing Jesus does as he walks down the mountain, as he comes down the mountain and is among them, is what? He asks a question. Isn't that amazing? The Son of God asks questions. The creator of the universe who, in that wonderful line in the hymn, flung stars into space, comes amongst us and asks questions and listens. When the father of lights, the father of this extraordinary son, says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. He asks us questions and listens to us. So the first thing we learn about this reflected life from Jesus is Jesus comes with a questioning life and heart and a listening life. The second thing, the dad, who's been living in despair and discouragement and judgment from the community all this child's life, that's the way it worked there in an honour-shame culture, his joy, his son has become a back-breaking burden and a heart-breaking burden. But his suffering has done something to him. It has brought him to a clear sense of himself. Suffering, looking at the world alongside Jesus, brings us to a clear sense of ourself. And the sense that he comes to before God And he declares in this story is his helplessness. I cannot save myself. I cannot save my son. And his biggest confession is his doubt. His doubt about everything, the world, how it works, his faith. He's lost his faith. And in this society, that would be an excoriating admission. So have you ever looked in the mirror? Ever looked in the mirror and said to Jesus, I just can't do this. I can't believe this. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I just want to be somewhere else. Have you ever said that? I bet you've felt it. 
Well, I have. In the past 16 years, I've said, I can't do this. I can't do them. They're over me and I'm over them. They hurt me. I hurt them. I can't do it. And then, looking out with him alongside, it's as though in that helplessness, he says, I think your Christian life's just beginning about now. The reflected life questions and listens. It suffers, which clarifies a lot. It acknowledges helplessness. And it cries out in doubt. The reflected life also in this story brings its most precious things to Jesus. Its most precious worries to Jesus. Its most precious faults to Jesus. Its most easy to judge things to Jesus. Cheryl and I have brought in our time with you our anxious depressed anorexic child to Jesus in your midst some of you have brought dying children to Jesus in our midst together over the years. Some of those who aren't here have brought their dying selves to Jesus. And God bless you, some of you have even brought your dead child to Jesus in our time together. There's nothing we can't bring, but the road has been and will be tough and rough at times. It shakes us and convulses us and terrifies us. But there's just one more thing, and then we're finished. Remember where we started with those two bookends, holding this story? Verse 9 teaches that death is the path of resurrection. Jesus is trying to get this through to them. And then after this whole debacle, where, praise God, in the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords, this child is resurrected from his spiritual death. Jesus finishes the story in verse 31, telling them the same thing, that death is inevitable and necessary to inherit resurrection. The reflected life, the only real Christian life, embraces death. Death to self, death to pride, death to capacity, death to genius, as the inevitable path to a mature life of resurrection with Jesus, our God, who walked the path of death in order that we might have life with him. We die to all manner of things if we're to break this fix me, fix it, fix it pathway.
So Jesus says this type of inbuilt destruction, this fix-it destruction, he says can only be cast out by prayer. A reflected life, a life that begins to look a bit more like Jesus' life, a life that sacrifices, suffers, but trusts. God has dragged me kicking and screaming into this life, the same life of this dad that we read about today. The life of the faithful nobody whose suffering has opened him more and more to the saving somebody who is the way. Death to self, the truth, resurrection in him and the life with him. So thanks to you for being the grinding paste of God. Forgive me for being just a prickle in your backside at times. You've been my gift of chisels and hammers to craft me into whatever I've become today. And that's why I suggested we read Psalm 125 today, sorry, Psalm 25 today, that Graham read for us. If you want to know where to start meditating on a reflected life, Psalm 25 is a wonderful place, the first ten verses of it. Closing prayer now. Um, for years, over 20 years, Cheryl and I have been part of a, an order of mission. So it's got the structures of a, a sort of a, uh, you know, an ancient order, but it's not very ancient in its ways. And uh, I've never really spoken about it because it's, I'm not trying to sell anything and I'm not going weird or something or other. I'm not being a hermit, you know, wanting to live on top of the mountain all the time. But we have a prayer. We share a prayer. And I'd like to finish sharing this prayer with you. This is our uh, mission, order of mission prayer. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low by you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I've made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.